1: Hey, this is Pat Ricard, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens
0: podcast on the planet. It's pretty incredible. In fact, it's la marvelous.
1: Thank you, guys. Alright, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, May 29th, on a Friday. It's all of a sudden summer here. here. It's very humid.
0: Yes, Maryland has done the whole uh, bipolar or schizophrenic thing that it does. And we've had our fake summers already. Uh, We've gone back into like snow a couple weeks ago, and whatever the hell else goes on. But it's uh, it's summer. I'm pumped for it. I'm here for it. I'm burned. If you can't tell,
1: you actually do look very nice and bronzed. How was the beach?
0: Beach. We got one good day of beach weather. Everyone was, you know, generally when you go to the beach, people are social distancing unless it's like a crazy, crazy weekend, which Memorial Day weekend can be, but. Um, it was, you know, everybody kept their space for the most part. One good day of sun, uh, everything was still carry-out only. You got to wear a mask to go pick up food just like anywhere else. So it was a nice time, nice to be by the ocean. Uh, I read a thing that the CDC said that uh, being at a popular beach is a very low-risk activity because you are outdoors when you're inside with air circulating is such as being on a cruise ship, apparently cru- Apparently, being on a cruise ship is the worst possible thing for, like, an airborne illness. I
1: think that's so. already, like, a thing for just general health, is being on a cruise ship. It's, yes. you know, a negative thing.
0: They're disgusting. Cruise ships, gross. Haven't been on one, so speaking ignorantly, but the idea of them grosses me out a little bit.
1: But, uh, cool. yeah, I don't know, man. It's. Uh, I'm glad you had fun down there. I had some... Uh, You know, got a little golf in, nice Memorial Day weekend, probably the most... hit the links heavy. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely the most low-key Memorial Day I've had probably in like the last five years. uh, Same. Yeah, definitely, I think, uh, got some positives to it. Uh, Got together with a couple friends, nothing crazy, did a little barbecue situation on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, it was was nice and low-key and relaxed, and uh, it's probably the only way I would have wanted it in these uncertain times. But, yeah, I mean, we're... We've rolled right through that. Like we mentioned, we're really getting close to summer and it feels like football is kind of maybe starting to ramp up a little bit. And uh, with the dearth of news and the uh, news vacuum that we typically have going on uh, in a normal year, it feels like we're maybe getting more news than we usually do at this point, which maybe that's due to the whole uh, pandemic situation. We're just kind of trying to bury ourselves in it a little bit, but there does seem to be some uh, significant developments going on either way.
0: Yeah, I feel like the NFL and football community has recognized that. So I think that you know the teams and media and the relationship between them—they're trying to stir some more stuff up to keep people entertained, and we definitely appreciate that. As of today, there were a number of potential rules. Three, I believe, eleven were passed. The three, one that were passed one is that kick returners and punt returners can now be subject to defenseless receiver, meaning that. If you hit them when they can't like get their eyes on you after catching the ball, you will get a penalty. Um, I understand the safety part, but it's just the game of football is continuing to try and become safer, and it, it is unfortunate for the sport that we know and love uh, in the, the old-timey ways. But for the sport to sustain, it is good to keep trying to, I guess, keep it under wraps and improve the safety of everyone. So you love to see that while those big devastating hits and forced fumbles and perfectly timed hits and things like that are super fun to watch. It's a little disappointing from that aspect, but I understand. The next was that I believe I could be mistaken on the language here, but it was that all turnovers that are taken away due to a penalty will now be included in review, whereas they previously weren't. So, that's a great revelation. I feel like because you do see, you know, a pass interference negate an interception, and the pass interference could have been suspect, uh, something like that. So sounds like those things will be definitely more under review. And under some uh, situations, uh, the third one is escaping me. And then the onside kick was the big news of the day. That ended up getting tabled. Apparently, NFLPA rep Troy Vincent, the former Eagles uh, great corner, said and, and safety said that. Uh, the They got tabled because teams were kind of confused on, let's say the offense gets the 4th and 15. Let's say, hypothetically, Lamar Jackson throws to Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown catches the ball wide open, 20 yards downfield, and runs for a touchdown. Do teams want that to count as a touchdown, or do they want simply after you get the first down, anything that happens after that doesn't matter. The ball goes back to the same spot. Um
1: so That's I think time it's, time. uh yeah, I think it's supposed to be like an untimed down. So I think that would probably be what you're looking at because it's yeah, I essentially. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and yeah, I think there's a, lo- a couple different sort of things that you're going to have to navigate in that sense because think about pass interference that gets called in a pretty, you know, pretty relatively frequent fashion, I would say uh, these days compared to, uh, you know, let's say 10, 15 years ago where this would maybe have made a little bit more sense. But uh, I think the refs are going to have to, if not directly, at least indirectly in some conversations, have some discussions about the way they call pass interference on that type of play, because that could potentially get pretty out of hand, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they also are announcing that I think they're going to delay opening until so next week ticket offices in retail shops Potentially, coaches can come back. That was the memo that was just sent in regards to reopening. Uh, so really a lot of news coming out of the NFL league office today. Roger Goodell dishing out the the facts, so good to see it. Um, then let me see. the. I'm trying to find the exact language on what they said in regards to all of these rule changes. But yeah, personally for me, while I'm trying to find it, I think 4th and 15 is too short. I think it needs to be 4th and 20, 4th and 20. I would prefer 4th and 25 over 4th and 15. So you
1: went with the 4th and 20 on Twitter today, but I wasn't sure if you were serious or you were trying to get your little uh, Marijuana joke off there.
0: Both. It's. I think, the, I think it was more the irony that I do prefer 4th and 20. I think that 4th and 15 is too attainable. And while we look at 4th and 15 now as, you know, that's a very unlikely scenario. Once it's an official kind of, as you put, uh, unscripted play, it's going to become scripted plays for that unscripted play where teams are going to have a pocket of plays designed for that situation, uh, gadgety or not gadgety, whatever it is, they're going to have more uh, time put into that because that's, that's a game changer, being able to do that. And I saw a statistic, I, it was just on an Instagram, NFL facts, and I've looked a couple of them up. They've never been wrong, so I do trust them. Apparently teams that have attempted onside kicks Regardless of recovering them or not, are 0 and 112 over the last two seasons. And that's, you know, they, they took the reason the change is needed is because they took away the, the running start to the kickoff. It's just really freaking hard to recover onside kicks now. I know Young Ho, Qua, uh, Young Wei Koo, the Falcons kicker, got two in one game, and that was like a third of the total recovered onside kicks last year. Um, So they just took away a part of the game with that. And and maybe the alternative is to allow a running kick and have it that you know if you do a running start and the ball goes past the midline to like past the 45 on the other side of the midline, that's a penalty or something of that. But I think they definitely need to do something to allow teams to get the ball back a little bit. It was part of the NFL for a long time. And I think that drama, that irony, just makes for a better product in the end. I think it's more fun to watch. And I'd like to see teams be able to go you know, surge back in some uncertain circumstances. And just because you get an onside kick or whatever it ends up being doesn't mean you win the game. You still have to go score the damn thing. Uh, so I'd like to see some more opportunities for that.
1: Yeah, I would say maybe like in one sense, it's maybe just as simple as the illegal touching rule. Maybe move that line up to like seven yards, eight yards, or something, as opposed to the full ten.
0: That's which, true. Which is that's where the
1: word. that's just literally where the other team sits. So essentially, what you're counting on. With the way that it's currently set up, is just a weird bounce that you can just kind of jump up and pounce on, uh, you know, which does obviously happen from time to time. But I mean, that's just like such a low percentage type deal that if you maybe even move that up two or three yards, and uh, you guys that are just you have guys that are just absolute bulldogs that are just going to pounce on the ball on the uh, you know kicking end of things, then maybe that could uh, lower that percentage a little bit and just make it maybe a little bit more fair for the team trying to go for that onside. But uh, I do understand the fact that like yeah, you don't want to like. Make it super, super attainable, but maybe just a little tweak that you know fans have some hope. Um,
0: I want it to be attainable, like one out of ten, like so, ten percent of the time, maybe twelve percent of the time, somewhere around there. Um, there, you know, there's the the thing that Troy Vincent added on top of that was you know those who have a Hall of Fame quarterback to be excluded from this discussion. So obviously, having you know Chiefs are going to benefit from that. They're going. They're just going to gonna go for it
1: every time if it's fourth and fifteen.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that you know, it, it's. it's I, I'm trying to imagine a middle like maybe the, I don't know, the Jets. So I'd love Sam Darnold, but maybe the Jets, like Joe Flacco, I hear there and put on it. Yeah, Joe Flacco, Sam Darnold. I want to hear there and put on it. Apparently, the discussion was about 30 minutes long, which is very long in their eyes. So seems like they're going to end up doing something one way or another. Uh, they also approved a competition committee report, which includes to a plan a te- to test in the preseason an expanded booth to official communication with certain objective info, a narrower change, quote-unquote, to the Sky Judge proposals that were withdrawn, uh, but a notable step coaches support. So it sounds like they're trying to get some booth judges and improve that aspect a little bit. Uh, then... There, were, there was also an expansion from two players allowed to return from the injured reserve during the season to three. So that's an extra player as well. I thought it was and, only one.
1: So that was it to news to me.
0: Either last year or the year before. I think last year was the first year of two. Okay. And now they're doing three, which makes sense. Yeah, let, let guys come back if they're able to. Especially
1: with the expanding rosters.
0: Yes, also true. Um, so the official language was make permanent expansion of automatic replay reviews to include scoring plays or turnovers negated by a foul. So if it's a scoring play or a turnover that a penalty took away, it will be reviewed. So I assume the penalty will be reviewed. Right. Because that's that's worthwhile. If it's if it's not a scoring play, not a turnover, um, you know, whatever. Leave it up to the human error point. But I'm, I'm all for that. Then finally, the manipulation of game clock with multiple dead ballfalls dead ball fouls, which was the <laughs> Bilichek thing, and then the Vrabel thing that Vrabel shoved back in Bilichek's face in the playoffs, which was so insanely hilarious. The The fact that that game, Vrabel did that, and then Tom Brady's final pass as a New England Patriot was a pick six. Just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's pretty sick. Also a hardball thing, kind of, too.
0: Yeah, also a hardball thing. He's always, he's always ready to uh, do some freaky little stuff on special teams and play with those kinds of rules. So, what Tom Pelissero tweeted was, if the proposed fourth and fifteen alternative pass today, traditional onside kicks would still be allowed. It's harder to recover under current rules. Forty-nine of two hundred and ninety-nine attempts from two thousand thirteen to two thousand seventeen, which was sixteen point three percent, to twelve of fourteen onside kicks recovered in or twelve of one hundred and thirteen. Pardon me, onside kicks recovered in the past two seasons, which is 105 percent. Is a reference to that not a precursor to eliminating kickoffs? I do not want to see the golf eliminated. So 10%, which is the number that I thought I, it feels like less, but apparently it is 10%. So my mistake there. Uh, I'm sure there's numbers, like I said, on, on how many fourth and 15 situations have been converted. And maybe it's less, maybe it's more. Again, I feel the teams would do a better job drawing and playing those. So interesting stuff going on in the league. Love the fact that they're, uh, really showing a willingness to evolve the last couple of years. And also they eliminated the ability to review pass interference as a challengeable play. I uh, you know, That shows that they made a mistake and they thought that they made a mistake. So they corrected it. So kudos to them on that. It feels like they're doing a good job evolving this game from the rules standpoint. Overall.
1: Yeah, definitely. I do appreciate that they got rid of that. I was never a fan of it to begin with. And uh, the fact that they're willing to admit that they made a, made a mistake and are uh, going back on it this quickly, uh, maybe it shows an overall, you know, change in league trends. Because, you know, even with personnel decisions, with coaching decisions, sometimes owners will hang on to uh, those type of guys too long and those type of mistakes too long. So uh, maybe it's an overall paradigm shift, but uh, who could say? Uh, in other news, I guess moving on from that, unless you had anything else?
0: Um, no, we're getting some news out of the horrible presser. Yep. As, as we speak, he's spoken on a couple of things. He said that uh, they plan on having Patty Queen be a three-down or four-down, whatever you prefer to call it, linebacker uh, on the season ticket holder call. So Patrick Queen, I guess he's not going to come off the field. So we'll see how that turns out. They see Malik Harrison, uh, the weak linebacker, a will, so it's the run chase player a little bit more than the diag- the diagnostic diagnostic. What is the word? Whatever the heck. I
1: diagnostician? Diagnostician.
0: Yes, diagnostician. Uh, a little bit more. Those are the basic roles. Think about C.J. Mosley, Patrick Queen. Think about Patrick Owasso. So let me Lee cut Parisman. you off real
1: quick. We uh, So I've had the mailbag running. We're going to get to that eventually, but we literally just got this one as it came out. What's up, Tupac? We literally just got this one uh, as it was coming out of the Harbaugh Presser from Satchel Gizmo. Harb said Queen probably plays Mike with Fort and Malik fighting for Will. I don't know as much about the roles and such, but Queen seems like a plug-and-play Will with Harrison looking more Mike-ish. Does this matter? Is it smoke? In a positionless defense, is it interchangeable?
0: I think that it is the Mike versus Will thing is definitely a little, like, it depends on communication and, like, the thing is if a play of uh, offense can flip a play with motion they can turn the strong side into the weak side and vice versa so i mean you can go to the go get set and you're the mic and then all of a sudden the offense resets and you're the will um so the roles have to change that has to be able to be communicated generally the mic is just going to be more of the communicator more responsible for, for kind of god that scared the fuck out of me <laughs> <laughs> So the Mike is going to be more responsible for kind of like uh, the guy who's going to sit and try to spy the quarterback or like mirror the quarterback and read that way. Whereas the will is going to go run and cover backs and do things like that and kind of man a little bit more, but it is interchangeable positionless defense. Um, I don't think it makes a huge deal to me. I mean, I honestly see Harrison is more of a Mike in with Sam in it from traditional standpoint and queen and more of a will, uh just from the speed perspective but that doesn't doesn't mean that they both can't do either the mic doesn't come off the field the will might come off the field that's the best way to put it i guess in modern football Um, the mic is the the one if there's a dime package where it's all dbs and one linebacker
1: for context like in a modern defense like yeah like for context in the modern defense like a safety will sometimes come up and play will correct
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I mean, that kind of just to give fans an idea who maybe don't know, and even I'm like a little bit challenged with this stuff sometimes. But my understanding is the mic is sort of that every down guy that is just sort of holding the fort and the Will is a little bit more versatile. He'll head out to the flats a little bit more. He'll play some hook zones and like do stuff like that. So that's just sort of my understanding of it. Uh, And from the way that these guys set up as like an athletic perspective and what they did at their respective schools, maybe it does seem like the roles would be interchanged from what Harbaugh was talking about. But like you mentioned, with a positionless defense, it is kind of like just whatever Wink needs out of them and what their athletic profile sets them up to do. But, you know, in a modern defense with the way that, uh, you know, teams are throwing the ball nowadays, a guy that can cover is definitely going to be worth leaving on the field for all three downs, at least in my opinion. Lost your audio. Uh,
0: There we go. So it feels like the guy that is going to be relied on in coverage a little bit more in a traditional sense is Patrick queen. Um, So I believe he's the mic then in that case, the guy that doesn't come off the field. So it sounds like Harrison is going to be a little bit more of a sub package guy mixed in with fort. And that also means, you know, maybe we see fort and Harrison on the field at the same time as queen coming off. So um, it's, it's matchup. It's positionless defense. It's filling roles. Uh, Kind of a little bit of... And there's a great article talking about creepers, and it went back even further than I realized. Good Lord. (laughs) Let me... Give me a minute. This is out of hand.
1: Okay, so he is muting his mic. He's turning around right now. We're in some great, just absolute, grape smuggling shorts right now, walking away from the camera, presumably to go deal with the dogs. And uh, this is me filibustering for... I mean, who could say how long this is going to take? We're 18 minutes into the podcast. We haven't even gotten to the mailbag yet. So we're dealing with some of the Harbaugh Presser stuff. We are listening to the dogs give takes. I'm actually not sure if that is Tupac or if that is some of the franchise's dogs, but I mean, who could say? Um, going to go ahead and look into some Twitter stuff right now with the Harbaugh Presser going on. Uh, but first, an A+. Headline from the Baltimore Sun that your boy just retweeted from at Podcast Beatdown. Go ahead and follow it on Twitter. Robert Kraft sees a happy ending for the NFL. So take that as you will take it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with the Harbaugh presser going on, uh, just coming hot off the presses, I guess I'll just go here. Jonah Schaefer. John Harbaugh says he expects one of the Ravens' two undrafted free agent tight ends. Oregon's Jacob Breland and Georgia's Eli Wolf to make the team. Can't forget about Charles Scarfe either is what Jonas adds, but that's an interesting discussion. I think that's one we're probably going to get into with uh, Breland and Wolf because we have a question about Breland in the mailbag, I believe. But uh, that is quite a statement. And now he's back. All right. I'm good. What were we even talking about? I was just filibustering there for like two minutes.
0: We're talking about Malik Harrison, Patrick Queen, LJ Fort. I read an interesting article tying back to D, or uh, Dave Aranda, who was the LSU defensive coordinator for a couple of years. He famously – I need to catch my breath. Whew. Okay, I'm good now. So he uh, loves the creeper concepts, and I've written an article, broken that down. You know, That's why Patrick Queen makes a ton of sense. LSU likes to simulate pressure. They blitz with by only sending four and dropping someone else. That's why Matt Judon is an essential piece for the Ravens' defense because he can cover well and drop off from the outside linebacker position. And so Aranda apparently all the way back to like 2002 used to be an admirer of Mike Nolan who would simulate pressure in different ways in a basic level back then. And he would apparently just meticulously study the Ravens' defenses, the classic Ray Lewis years' defenses, all those exotic looks, and then he started kind of replicating it and advancing with it and turning it into the the literal creeper uh, and all that stuff. Then it ended up going back to Rex Ryan, who evolved with it a little bit further, and Aranda took what he did. Aranda kept running with it. He was at Utah State at this point by like 2008, 2010 as the defensive coordinator. Ends up at LSU, going crazy with this stuff, using it as almost like his primary defense was to simulate pressure in passing situations um, and run situations as well so then dean pease gets to the point where he loves what aranda's doing who is now the, so the ravens and aranda just have this like long 20-year love affair for each other's concepts patrick queen has been involved in that he's aware of that stuff he grew up in that so it just makes sense for uh patrick queen malik harrison is also an adept blitzer and they're going to be able to be interchangeable lj fort has never played more than i think like it was like 32 maybe 35 percent of snaps uh that was with pittsburgh in 2017 so i don't see lj fort taking you know more than maybe 45 percent of snaps but there's going to be a three-man rotation between those three uh, maybe an otara alaka or a jake ryan or a chris board sneaks in and takes you know five ten percent of reps but i don't see anyone else taking more than that but um, it's, it's definitely going to be a three man rotation and the position of it, which is what started this whole thing. Mike will, isn't as important as one might seem, but, uh, he, he's pretty a pretty
1: good producer. I think, I mean,
0: Mike will made it Mike. Will, That was good. Co- That's pretty good. Come on. That was pretty. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, definitely pretty, pretty, pretty good. So we got, so, uh,
1: so just to, I guess, cap it off. Text coming in from a friend of the show, uh, Eric Jacobs. Any worry about starting two rookie linebackers, especially this year? So do you think COVID affects uh, what their roles are going to be playing or what roles are going to be playing?
0: I don't know. I This might make me look stupid, whatever, but I feel like the college game and the NFL game have never been closer in terms of, like, scheme and – transference, transferability. Uh, I think we see a lot of rookies able to come in and do a really great job. I mean, C.J. Mosley was a really stout linebacker at Alabama. He had maybe a little higher pedigree um, than either of those guys did and was relied on a little more. But he was – arguably his best year was when he was a rookie. I believe he was all pros a rookie.
1: And he always Um, – he actually told the story when he got in that when he – arrived for OTAs or whenever it was. And he opened his playbook for the first time. He like laughed out loud because it was literally just the same thing as Alabama, which maybe that's going to be the case for a guy like queen, especially playing in that sec LSU defense.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, that see that ends up uh, making an easy transition and Ohio state I think that they asked more of Malik Harrison in coverage than LSU asked of Queen in coverage in different ways. Um, Especially RPOs. Malik Harrison had a ton of experience as the read man, as the guy, you know, let's say Lamar Jackson's running an RPO. There is one key defender, a read defender. It's usually a safety or a linebacker uh, that he is staring at determining if he jumps, I'm going to throw over his head. If he sits, I'm going to hand the ball off or run it myself. And Malik Harrison multiple times just last year played both played both the run and then jumped into the passing lane like cat like quickness so he's got our ability to do some of those things Uh, the rookie linebackers yeah it is worrying and we're gonna see them make some mistakes probably they're probably not gonna when at the end of the year i would be shocked to see you know pff ends up grading patrick queen above like a 75 or 80 and and the same thing with harrison they just you know keys just aren't as consistent yet that you can still fool them um, they're they're playing a bit too fast, to trying to you know make sure they're playing fast enough to be in the NFL and making mistakes that way. Sometimes they struggle with letting things come to them. So I definitely think there's some concern, but I think the Ravens have the personnel where they can kind of pick and choose the places for each of them, find which roles they really excel in. And as we always say on this show, they're not going to make them do things that they just freaking suck at. They're not going to force them to you know if Malik Harrison's really struggling to cover the flat. They're not going to keep asking him to cover the flat all year, something like that. Um, so I, I think the Ravens will do a good job utilizing it. And I mean, I would take this linebacking core over last year, as, as uncertain as it is with two rookies. I, I like the idea of Queen and Harrison more of Awato and Kenny Young. And while I was maybe a little bullish on uh, Young last year, I thought Young was going to be a lot more successful. It feels like, you know, the Ravens identified those guys weren't the answer. And. Are pretty confident that at one of, if not both, Bean and Harrison are going to be the answer. So it's still know, a it's still a
1: gamble at linebacker, similar to last year, but the pedigree is much higher. So therefore, confidence should that's be a much good higher. Put
0: it. Yes, they have a much higher pedigree of the dudes. They have. I mean, Wasso was never a true linebacker. That will position they wanted him to play. Mike didn't work so well. Run around like chickens with their heads cut off. End up getting benched and cut or benched and traded. You know by. The first month of the season, those guys aren't playing anymore, and I feel like you know Queen is freaking smart man. He has a high IQ, and that's why they took him. You heard uh, Joe Hortiz talk about him making mistakes in Week Two again, like against Texas against Devin Duvernay, which was at the very end of the game. Like LSU had already clearly won the game. It was absolute garbage time touchdown, like the one the Ravens had against the Browns to make it forty to twenty five. Uh, in week four, other way around, it, right, 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 twenty five to forty, right, right, right. But, oh, Browns um, against the Ravens. You said
1: Ravens against the Browns. You know, yeah,
0: yes, 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 yes. No so, um, they saw him make a mistake. He didn't get enough depth in a similar concept. And boom, a couple of weeks later, he ends up picking off to a Loa and uh, showed that he improved off of that situation. And I think that Queen is a cerebral player, and maybe Kenny Young and Patrick Owasso weren't so. It is what it is. We'll see how they end up performing, but they'll have their rookie lumps. I think year two next year, they're going to kill it. That's where I think they'll really be a dominant unit between the two of them.
1: For sure. And I mean, you still have guys like Fort in the mix who strong last season, You know, you bring in Pernell McThee, different position, but he's going to be in that linebacking core teaching them. So, I mean, you still got some holdovers from last year uh, in what was, you know, wound up being a successful year for the front seven. So uh, very excited about all of that. One last bit of news that we're going to definitely be covering in the mailbag, but I just wanted to touch on it real quick. Uh, Rumors again surfacing uh, with Jamal Adams now. Upset with the Jets, he got Gary Myers from, I think, the New York Daily News reporting that uh, he is very much seeking a new contract, aggressively trying to get it done. The Jets aren't even trying to open dialogue until the season starts, which is kind of a bold move, I guess, uh, just to alienate one of your franchise cornerstones. But uh, in light of the fact that uh, they're really not making any headway on that, uh, he is Possibly going to be seeking a trade here. He sees the Cowboys as a prime destination. Gary Myers confirmed this, but he was also on the radio, I think, with one of the guys from blogging uh, with the boys, uh, the Cowboys SB Nation site, which you should check out. Uh, And apparently he said that he heard the Ravens were also kind of strongly in the mix, which would line up with some reporting from the midseason trade deadline last year that they had sniffed around uh, regarding Adams availability.
0: Right. It feels like the Ravens are interested in him, and maybe if he were a free agent, they would absolutely break the bank for him. Uh, I am of the train of thought that it is unlikely in this rookie contract Super Bowl window with Lamar Jackson, you're going to draft a player in the first round of 2021 that is going to make a greater impact towards winning a Super Bowl than Jamal Adams, especially because it's most likely going to be a pick in the 20s, hopefully the 30s. They are successful, but uh, it's fine it to be hard-pressed and sure, can be tight, things like that. But then you go back and read Jason Lockham for his article talking about cash versus cap and teams that have spent the most actual, tangible money over the past three years. The Ravens have spent the second fewest cash paid out to players on their roster uh, since 2017, the Cowboys being number one. And that's how you see the Cowboys, while they might not have an abundance of cap space. Able to retain, you know, Tyron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper. that like... Uh, so Zach does that Martin. mean
1: just cash on personnel or like their entire operations? Because the it Cowboys... Means that,
0: it, 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 it means that they haven't spent as much. But So like there is the cap. The cap confines you and restrains you. But you would think as the Cowboys are the number one franchise in all of the NFL in terms of revenue stream and you know, having money to spend on facilities and, and that's where like that. I'm kind
1: of wondering about it because like they have, they not only have their facility, the star or whatever it is, they have a freaking golf course out there. They have places out in California. They have like all this stuff that they're spending on extraneously just outside of personnel. So I was just curious if like cash is in relation to cash spent on personnel or just cash overall spent
0: cash spent on personnel. Only. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so they have had, you know, great, Rosters, good free agents—they bring people, but they have not been actually paying out a ton. Um, While dead money doesn't count and things like that, there's a difference between cash and cap. So it just basically means that teams aren't kind of like, "Oh crap, we're spending too much right now." Because they're not—they're not spending as much as let's say the Packers or the Bears or teams that are. I think the Ravens and the Cowboys were in the six hundred and sixty million dollar range for like a three-year period in cash spent, and then the heaviest teams were like about a hundred and twenty million over that. So They might not have a lot of cap base, but they also aren't, you know, that means their owner isn't saying, you know, damn, we've spent way too much on personnel lately. They can't say that the Ravens are one of the more prominent organizations that is like a top 30 franchise of all sports in the entire world. Uh, They're not the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, they might have room to sign a Jadevian clowney or make a little bit of room for Jamal Adams. And they don't have any huge contracts. They have two $15 million or maybe three $15 million contracts this is in Peters Williams and Thomas. Whereas a lot of teams, this is what Voss likes to get into. A lot of teams have six, eight players they're paying in that range. And a lot of them have, you know, 20 million, 25 million like quarterbacks that are super heavy contracts. So there's a lot more shuffling that can be done. And Jamal Adams is a safety He's going to want top of the market money, but top of the market money is $15 million right now. It's not 20 for an edge rusher, 25 for an edge rusher, 35 for a quarterback. So I just think that acquiring Adams for a first round pick, what he can do being a positionless defender that can cover, that can tackle, that can blitz, uh, do all kinds of things for your defense is going to provide more value than nameless rookie drafted in 2021. And I think that they have more money than people realize in terms of cash, not necessarily cap. So I would like to see them make one more final big move. And the two guys, I'm, or I guess three guys I'm eyeing up are Everson Griffin, Jadevian Clowney, Jamal Adams. I think they should make one of those moves. They don't do anything drastic ever, but that is one of those three guys can take your defense to a point where you can be up on the chase.
1: Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I think uh, another big move necessarily wouldn't be as out of the question as some people seem to think it is i think we get married to the idea of draft picks just because we like the excitement of the draft and i'm definitely guilty of that uh you and know the, Dravens,
0: the ravens draft well
1: yeah they do and it's always a fun weekend it's great to have that you know first round pick that you can sort of bank on so from that sense it would be uh you know kind of tough to you know, deal with the idea of letting go of something like that, but I'm totally fine for it with a player of the caliber of Jamal Adams. I think he is so worth it. I think he's probably the best safety in the league right now for my money. And uh, you know, very young. He got drafted in 2017, absolute alpha dog and leader, would bring things, you know, that are intangible as well as very tangible. I think he would step in and immediately be one of the best players on the team. So it's like you mentioned the opportunity cost of going to get him versus sitting there and kind of playing it safe, you know, hanging onto that first round pick just so you can maybe Maybe draft a safety to replace Earl Thomas. Uh, Ultimately, like I'm not one of those people that says the salary cap doesn't exist, but it's just so much more. There's so much more to it than just like saying like, oh, well, the cap, you know, is, is a certain way right now, so we can't do something. There are so many creative ways to get around that and maybe re-sign him long-term if you have to. So I think uh, ultimately, for me, he's definitely worth the draft compensation. If they can make a contract work ultimately, then uh, I'd be happy with it. But even if they can't, if he's only here for two years, I'd probably be fine with that too for a first-round pick.
0: Right, and then recoup a third in, co- in compensation if he ends up leaving, if they can't sign him. And uh, A situ- similar situation feels like maybe a little more drastic is Jalen Ramsey being traded to the Rams he really wanted out and Jalen Ramsey plays a slightly more important position. And, uh, you know, is a premier athlete, all that stuff. We don't need to get into that, but he was willing to kind of put that extension off a little bit. And that's been, you know, the, the word on the street with the Rams because he was going from a shitty organization where winning was not the culture. He was being, you know, misled in certain avenues on what was going on. And Ramsey is a little different because the Jaguars were really stinking good for one year. Uh, where's, Adams has just been on dreary jets and maybe he's just kind of checked out and taking him, putting him on a team like the Ravens that assist, you know, you can throw the Steelers in there you can throw the Patriots in there. You can throw the Seahawks in there, the Packers and those kinds of teams that year in and year out, have a winning culture, are competitive and handle their personnel. Well, you know, bring in free agents, pay their players, all that kind of good stuff. Maybe he's willing to hold off on that extension for a year or so. Um, if, the Ravens traded for Adams. The cap hit of Jamal Adams, if traded on his new team in 2020, is all of three and a half million dollars. That is his salary, that is all the new team would have to pay. So, if they could get him to come in, be happy, appreciate a winning culture, they could absolutely afford it for now. And Eric DaCosta, you know, he just won executive of the year, he hasn't had to make any decision or, or start really uh, twisting contracts and finagling. Uh, pro rating stuff and extensions and all that stuff a ton. He's done it lightly, but that's going to have to be an avenue that he ends up getting into in a couple of years with Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Lamar Jackson, all those guys on the docket. There's some finagling to do. So add Jamal Adams, let's see if he really is executive of the year. So
1: yeah, definitely. They, yeah. They're an organization that tries to win pretty much year in and year out. Well, they also, you know, keep an eye on the future. They try to keep themselves Well set up, but their ultimate goal is to try and win a Super Bowl ring, you know, very, very often. And uh, not every team is going to accomplish that, but it's just having that mentality that's half the battle in mind. That's why I'm not totally like down with tanking and all this stuff. I understand the logic behind it, but when you fall too far down that rabbit hole, then you kind of lose that winning culture and players don't really buy into what you're trying to do. So like a team like the Browns last year, who has all the talent in the world. They can't get it done because they're being led by this guy that doesn't know how to win, ultimately, and a uh, young quarterback who's still, you know, getting his feet underneath him. So I think maybe, you know, I don't want to, like it's not even me like just trying to take a shot at the Browns or anything. It's just kind of like the way I see it ultimately. And that's like what leads to players like Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams get sick of losing quickly because you're on a team in college, like Florida state where I think Ramsey won a national title. You're yeah, you know, he did with James. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Then you're, you know, you're Jamal Adams and you're doing a good job at LSU and, you know, having good years under, I think miles and then coach show you get to the NFL and you're just like having these double digit losses every season. And it's just like wears on you. Like you forget about the human element of it almost where these guys are just getting the shit kicked out of them for 17 weeks in a row. And they just have nothing to look forward to. Eventually that's going to wear on you. And uh, it does not surprise me in the slightest that Jamal Adams would want to move. And uh, I think the Ravens definitely makes sense as a destination for him. I know he probably would prefer the Cowboys, but I think he would probably have the Ravens within a top two or three list. Uh, So that's all I've got on that. Anything else before we jump into the questions?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned Devin Clowney. The other news report is that the Browns offered him the money of a team so far, and he's not in a rush. Uh, A lot of people are kind of saying, a lot of the big J journalists are saying if money was what he wanted, he would have signed with the Browns, and apparently that's not all he wants. He wants to be part of a winning team, uh, wants to have a good fit. There's a really great article that the Seattle Times did uh, last summer, right when the Seahawks acquired him and kind of interviewed him and talked about some things. One thing in that article that maybe is a little bit worrisome in pertain- pertaining to maybe signing with the Ravens is that Jadevian Clowney apparently felt that he played out of position in Houston as an outside linebacker, which is what the Ravens would have him play. I don't. We could see something different this year with the additions they made. We've kind of discussed – several times how maybe they're moving to some more even front looks and could play him as a traditional defensive end and some pass rushing situations and whatnot. But apparently he wanted to go to Seattle because he wanted to play defensive end and he wants to go play a classic hand in the dirt defensive end and Matt Judon versus Clowney. That's where there's, you know, some contrast and where they're difficult to compare. Matt Judon dropped back into coverage over a hundred times last year. Jeremy Clowney hasn't dropped back in coverage a hundred times in his career combined uh, but I just think that adding a piece like that would be interesting like I said you know Marcus Peters you can toy around with extent with uh, a restructure of his contract turning some of his uh, base into bonus this year they can free up up to seven million dollars with him they can do some other things and that does push money down the line I know but I'm just bullish that I want the Ravens and maybe next year is the better year to do it but I feel like it's it's regardless this year or next year. Uh, they have they're in that Super Bowl window. Lamar on fifth year is going to jump up into probably what the I think the new thing is fifth year is uh is basically a franchise tag. Now you're getting a top five money, so that's going to be thirty billion dollars in two years. So go get a player for one or two years any way that you can and win a damn trophy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about these late first round picks not really being worth what people or even. We value the mat sometimes. I mean, the Chiefs trade one for Frank Clark. They go and win a Super Bowl last year. So maybe this is like that type of move that they need to make. And uh, yeah, I think they could probably get it done a little bit easier than some people would think. Fit would maybe be an issue. You know, he he feels like he's maybe a little out of position in Houston. He goes up to Seattle where their linebackers really don't even rush the passer over there. Uh, Maybe he would have to accept a little bit more versatile role to fit into a defense like this. But, uh, you know, he's shown some coverage ability.
0: Maybe just come off the field a little bit. Yeah, for sure. He plays sixty percent of snaps instead of seventy-five, and then he ends up fresh. People want to talk about his injury problems and all of that. Uh, Even though he hasn't missed more than three games in any of the past four seasons, but maybe if he only plays fifty-five percent of snaps, he's fresher. He doesn't get hurt, and when he's in the game, he is a damn bulldog. We've seen him. We saw him completely annihilate Ronnie Stanley a couple of times in Seattle last year, which was obviously Ronnie Stanley's. One of the best, if not the best, left tackles in football. Clowny clowned him, ha 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 ha. ha. Uh, but yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, so it's a move I'd be intrigued to see from the Browns' perspective. I just I don't like. Why are we doing this? Like they already had the hypey off-season type thing where they go and get all the flashy players. It didn't work out. They're having a good off-season. Just leave it alone. That's my take from the Browns' perspective.
0: Yeah, they need to build slowly. Uh, they they put too much on their plate at once. They do have a new head coach. And for all that Kevin Stefanski is that Freddie Kitchens was not, still you don't want to keep loading up too much, grow in increments. They clearly are capable of that explosion we all, maybe with the Rams or – Uh, with uh, San Francisco 49ers and some teams like that, they were able to get a new head coach, bam, turn things around, fly onto the scene, go to the playoffs, all those things, even though the Niners did it a couple years into the Shanahan regime. But um, still, I don't know that they're capable of putting that much on their plate. Clowney doesn't seem like he's ever been a problem in the locker room or anything like that. Um, But yeah, like you said, Flash is not substance and i would like to see them prove the substance and then start doing the flash again
1: for sure so i think that wraps up the news what do you say we jump into the mailbag so first one coming from christian Cutto. how will second year wide receivers around the nfl including hollywood rank after this season so i guess he's saying like hollywood mecole hardman who else did we have in the draft last year
0: We've got DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, um, Andy Isabella, Deontay Johnson, Darius Slayton, Preston Williams down in Miami, uh, who actually quietly had a really good year. So definitely, and that's why I, th- I find it kind of ironic all the talk of this year's draft class. Last year's was has potential to be one of the historically best, very deep, um, as opposed right as opposed to the Mike Evans, Odell Beckham class where that one was just super top heavy. Uh, this one is deep, 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 deep. For me, I love Terry McLaurin. He was one of my favorites in last year's draft class. I can't believe he went as late as he did. All he did at Ohio State was get open, separate, win, and be a freak athlete. Uh, incredible gunner. I think that he is poised for a monster year. Uh, our boy Emery Hunt came on and talked about Dwayne Haskins and some of the things he saw. We also talked with Derek Clausen, QB class, when we had him on. He also said... You know, he doesn't think that Dwayne Haskins is ever going to be a superstar, but he doesn't see him being anything below an average, you know, to 10 to 20th NFL starting quarterback. I think I had always and, compared
1: Haskins to Jared Goff. Yeah, I so
0: can see like, that in a So, like, kind of, the, bit, kind of in that range.
1: That Maybe – I know, like, people are kind of low on golf right now, but, I you know.
0: Goff but, had – I mean, Goff had an MVP caliber year and went to a Super Bowl and, and flashed the year before that when they were 11 and 5. So, I, I definitely see that. I think Haskins – that term gamer, maybe a little more of a gamer than golf, a little bit. Um, yeah, well, I'll much
1: cover. bigger too. Like just in terms of like physical, just size, yes. like filled he out. My,
0: I'll put him somewhere between golf and Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. somewhere in the middle of that. I like that. Uh, I think that Ben would be an absolute ceiling. Obviously, Ben has been a monster, but I've seen Haskins able to hang in the pocket, hang tough, make some tough throws. Uh, he actually was very accurate on deep ball passes had a crappy completion percentage, but yeah, Terry McLaurin for me is at the top of the list, able to win every single way, can yeah. run after the catch, blocks his ass off, uh, underneath over top, everything. We saw him absolutely torch Jalen Ramsey and torch AJ Bouye last year a little bit, uh, very early in the season. So definitely love, love, love him. AJ Brown is the next one that was super successful. We didn't even mention Debo. Same but AJ Brown was super successful. Um, just, Average 20 yards a catch, freak after the catch. I mean, well, know.
1: everyone knows that Debo is, you know, destined to be the greatest receiver of all time. So it it's kind of goes without saying.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, AJ Brown, I mean, the, uh, it, it's really just tif- It's difficult to rank them because. Yeah, like
1: for me, I'd, I'd approach it in this way where I think that in terms of guys that I expect could be superstars, I'd go, I'd probably throw Hollywood in there. I'd go Mikal Hardman in that system. I like that fit a lot. AJ Brown definitely, DK definitely, McLaurin definitely, and then the rest of the guys that we've been talking about, I think, could have very solid careers too. I think is Christian Kirk from last year as well.
0: No, no, no. He's, he was the uh, year before. Yes, they, okay. they they have Andy Isabella, Isabella. Got, yeah, that's who yeah. They was. got Hakeem Butler, who they like put on injured reserve. Apparently, they almost cut him last year. Yeah, he's and
1: we're- yeah.
0: Very displeased. And they also have Keyshawn Johnson from Fresno State. right? Um, so they have quite a few. So they've got, I mean, if you're looking to trade for a receiver, that is the team between Kirk, Fitzgerald, and Hopkins, Isabella, Bert, they have that guy Demir Bird, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, all those guys. So they are stacked at wide receiver. They obviously use a lot of four wide receiver sets and stuff. But, yeah. the way I, Yeah, the, the way I'd assess it, it is just
1: it's a very, very positive outlook for the Full class, maybe four guys that could be superstars and then a bunch of guys that could be very viable players, including even dudes like Kelvin Harmon that had like three, four hundred right. yards last year for the Redskins. There's a lot of guys.
0: The one that I'm down on and will continue to be down on and, and wait until he impresses me and willing to be wrong on, I guess, is a good way to put it as Nikhil Harry. Uh, didn't see a ton out of him. He was injured. He I didn't love him. After I watched his tape last year, I was shocked that he went in the first round over you know brown samuel metcalf all those guys uh so he is one that i'm down on we we'll we don't know what the hell jared stidham is uh i think he is like through 10 passes and one of them was a pick six but that doesn't really mean anything in that uh, sample size two jamal adams correct yeah. and i don't know what the hell jared stidham is but that is a receiver that i am uh wary of especially in fantasy and all of that but Maybe everyone else is too. And if you can get him in the last round of your draft and take a flyer on him, maybe that's not an awful idea. But that is the one guy I would steer clear of for now.
1: Sick. Moving on, coming from Calvin is the next one. Isn't that your name? Calvin Klein. Uh, if you had to choose, who do you guys think are the most likely candidates to be our 2020 Corey Vedvik, i.e. the guy that shows out in the preseason but could be used as trade bait due to excess talent at the position or what vet gets cut in favor of this guy? I think we've kind of both been on the Gus bus for this one a little bit.
0: Yeah, Harbaugh has been saying he likes if the the four running back thing, but let's say there's a devastating injury in, I don't know. Seattle mm, they signed someone i don't know Aaron Jones in Green Bay something of the sort and they just have Jamal Williams actually no they draft i don't know i don't know they <laughs> yeah, they the <laughs> yeah they drafted one yeah they drafted AJ Dillon but uh yeah i think Gus Bus is definitely an option maybe one of the interior offensive linemen maybe Pat McCarthy maybe Bradley Bozeman uh they could end up getting a third fourth round pick for for a team that's really desperate because if let's say they go with Ben Powers and Ben Bredesen and Skura is back healthy. Uh, Fluker, they're comfortable with and all this stuff. And if they really end up being like an eight or nine deep and can get like a fourth round pick and that fourth round pick, they can turn into a mid season acquisition at a position of need again, something like that. Uh, that could definitely be an option.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, you know, a couple of these little one drafted tight end step up and then the scarf is, you know, good as well. I mean, that's, you're running five deep at that point.
0: That's true. Maybe and one of those guys. I did get into a little Jacob Breeland. There is a question about that, but yeah, I think it's entirely possible. DB, I guess maybe uh, maybe an Amon Marshall, maybe a uh, uh, Anthony Everett, something of the sort. There, I don't think Jimmy Smith is going anywhere. Any of those top guys, but uh, they're definitely very deep in a couple places.
1: For sure. Next one coming from Slim Hug at third. Brock from the Sun. Uh, What are your favorite and least favorite example if Kalani goes to the Browns non-Ravens personnel moves this offseason? So what are the moves you're looking at from around the league? I will start. uh, I like what the Browns did at tackle, you know, drafting Wills. They signed Conklin, uh, just shoring things up there for an offensive line that could severely use it. So I think uh, that's going to be the one that I really, uh, really liked.
0: I like Byron Jones to the Dolphins. Pairing him with Xavier Howard. They also brought in Van Noy, uh, a couple other pieces of that Patriots player tree, I guess you can call it. But Byron Jones is a guy I'm super-duper high on. Not a ball skill guy, not an interception guy, but my lord, he can cover so much ground. He is long, fast, can jump, does everything. He's kind of, kind of fits that Ravens uh, play the man, not the ball thing where they want to press and, and try and swat the ball away instead of go for picks and end up getting scorned. But I think that was an awesome move. A great place for Brian Flores to start was having awesome corners. That helps you uh, not get blown out, I guess, is a good thing for a developing team to have a secondary that can kind of maybe keep you in the game and prevent some of those big plays. So I thought that was really good. Move.
1: For one that I didn't like, I'm not really sure like what the plan is in Carolina, but just the idea that, All right, we're just going to let Cam walk, and then we're just going to sign Teddy Bridgewater. Like, if you're tanking, okay, that's fine. But like I said, I'm already, like, not a huge fan of tanking to begin with. But uh, Cam Newton for Teddy Bridgewater, in my mind, not really looking like a great trade-off right now.
0: God, give me a second.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's just absolute chaos going on over there right now. He's still muted. He's looking around
0: down there is that your dog well, or no that is uh friend's parents dog okay yeah, i was gonna say sounded auto. a little more a
1: little more gravelly
0: than usual yeah no tupac is is just laying on the ground passed out so it's not him he's always pretty chill oh very 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 chill he'll give a little <laughs> uh but yeah move, so, i mean yeah. so do i right carolina teddy bridgewater um he's all right you know okay quarterback i agree with you I mean, can can Cam Newton just not throw a frick uh, football right now? Is that you the gotta, situation?
1: Yeah, you got to think there's like a serious health issue going on right there. And that's, you know, probably part of why they released him. That's maybe part of why nobody has signed him at this point. But even if I'm like trying to transition into a new year, I'd rather just like hang on to Cam for another year, see if he can maybe get it done. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But just like trading him straight up and saying like, all right, Teddy's just got the keys for this year. Uh, I'm not totally on board with that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something with Matt Rule coming in and, and, and uh, their front office and not winning Cam. I don't know. But Cam Newton, just like, when I think of the Carolina Panthers franchise, he is their identity and he is now gone. So it feels like they're on some rough times. I like Matt Rule. We'll see what they can do. Um, I'm on that train as well. Teddy Bridgewater, he uh, it, it just feels like he's never going to go 10 and 6 in that situation. He's never going to make the playoffs. Yeah, season.
1: but, and he will go like, you'll win five or six games, which like, I don't yes. at that point. I'm not really sure what the plan is, but regardless, moving on, we've got Ben walks. How confident are you in Tavon young at slot cornerback coming back healthy? What could Ravens do if he gets hurt again?
0: I'm not that confident to be honest. Um, That is a worry on this team for me. Maybe the only one position wise, I guess maybe interior offensive line. I'm still waiting to see, but they have depth at least. But as far as slot cornerback like I'm gonna I guess they have the luxury of Jimmy Smith to make it Peters and Smith on the boundary and Marlon in the slot again I'm just I just don't want Marlon in the slot again i'm I don't want to try to tow stuff with a Porsche I don't want to take him and misuse him um I was talking about on Twitter how great he is maybe he could play safety but I would hope for that you know in twenty twenty seven not in twenty twenty. Um, I don't want Marlon Humphrey to have to go under the slot again, and he was fine there. But that's—it's it, an entirely—he's like, too
1: physically just ab- He's just an absolute specimen, like, and guys like that are just built to play on the outside. I mean, he's very yes. perfectly capable of playing in the slot, but it's like you said, towing—you know—a a car with a Ferrari. Like, it kind of doesn't really. It makes it doesn't make sense to you're just.
0: Not, you're not looking to drive with your three iron,
1: for sure. Unless you know you're having yips with the driver, you know, That's not, true. not speaking from personal experience or anything uh, shout out to the big right miss. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm not really too confident either at this point, to be honest. And I feel like they've tacitly acknowledged it with some of their draft picks, like Marshall at cornerback, they brought in, they keep bringing in guys at corner. So maybe they're just sort of, you know, not too confident themselves. Hopefully they are because he did sign that extension, but, uh, Regardless, uh, it feels like they have plans uh, at the position in case he is not ready. So,
0: Yes, and I'm a little worried. I mean, for me, I'm not having Anthony Everett play boundary corner in training camp. I'm having him in the slot the entire time. I think he has the physical skill set and the quick feet and the speed there to kind of do some of those things. And, and I think he is a little scrappy while he's not maybe the smartest guy in the world on the field. But I, I want someone playing exclusively slot behind Tavon. I'm not sure who it is. It's not Marcus Peters. It's not Jimmy Smith. Uh, I don't know, man. Geno Stone, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm a little worried there if Tavon can't play. A neck injury is, is freaking horrible. They're extremely debilitating. Uh, not not, not to mention
1: all the other injuries. I mean, the guy has just had trouble staying on the field. Uh, yeah. in his four or five years in the league so i Which
0: yeah here reminds me of ladarius webb yeah awesome playmaker yeah. when he's on the field but hope I, I, it just feels like he's going to end up never being able to come close to the potential he has because of injury
1: yep moving on connor Kellerstrass. what do you think the target share for wide receiver tight end will look like this season can do percentage or actual number let's include hollywood boykin sneed duvernay Andrews and Boyle. Uh, I personally think Hollywood is going to get the, the line share of targets from the receiver position. I think Boykin's going to be after him and then Snead from the slot getting some, I think Duvernay is going to get involved. I think he's going to see some stuff from the backfield and things like that. And then uh, I think Andrews is once again, going to get absolutely fed and Boyle is going to be more of a blocker.
0: Yeah. So let's see last year, Andrews got 98 targets, which paced everyone uh, Hollywood got 71, Willie Snead 46, Nick Boyle with 43. And that sneakily is a number I feel like goes up a good bit for Nick Boyle uh, into the 50, maybe even 60 range just because he's on the field so damn much. And Hayden Hurst is now gone, who had 39 targets. Uh, Boykin only with 22. So you have to think that Andrews is going to go up in targets. That's That 98 with him being on the field 40-some percent of the time, if he's healthy this season – stays on, I don't see a possibility where he has less than 100 targets. Him and Lamar have great chemistry, he works over the middle of the field, he's good in the slot, good playing from inline, all that good stuff. Um, Hollywood, you have to think, if he's healthy, man, he looks healthy, he looks strong, have to think he's in that 100-target range as well, so that's you know 200-ish targets around there. Lamar Jackson threw the ball total 446 times, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. Um, I could scroll up, but I don't feel like it I'd really like to see Willie Steed with more than forty-five targets. I feel like he's always been a consistent first-down maker. Um, I think he was n- not targeted enough last year, to be honest. Uh, the same goes for Miles Boykin. So, I think receivers start to take a little bit more of the line share uh, than they did last year. I believe it was forty-one percent of the total targets were to tight ends, which led the NFL. You know, the Eagles were close to that as well. Um, So Andrews, Boyle, and Hurst totaled somewhere around 170 targets in that department. Um, Can't see that number being higher than 150 maybe this year, unless Andrews is at like 120 or something ridiculous. But uh, with Duvernay coming in, Boykin figuring to take more targets, uh, Prochet possibly factoring into the equation, and of course, Willie really got to think that that number goes up.
1: Yeah, for me, it's one, two, three. Andrews-1, Hollywood-2, Boykin-3. Moving on, Dominic Henson, can Lamar become the next Tom Brady of his era? Bold one right there. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see a quarterback win six Super Bowls again, so I'll frame it as this. I think uh, in terms of that scenario, I think that's going to be Mahomes, and I think uh, Lamar is going to be more of a, I don't necessarily want to say Peyton Manning type figure because they're totally different types of players, but uh, you know maybe a championship or two. And uh, you know, that's you know kind of what you're going to get out of him. And uh, in terms of player comparisons, uh, I think I've kind of been on the train of comparing him to Cam Newton. Uh, I think that's where he's going to wind up, you know, kind of player wise where he's around maybe 10 plus years and uh, you get a championship or two out of him.
0: I don't know. It's, it's still really difficult to project him after just one full season and what he's able to do, but the man's only lost three regular season games so far. Um, I don't know if you, you just really can't compare him to anyone. There's, ne- there's never been a player like him that is as competitive, as mobile, and as dedicated to the passing game. Uh, you know, We've talked about it. Vic himself said, if you put a million-dollar check in my film that I got sent home with from practice, my homework, I would have given it back with a million-dollar check inside of it. Never known. Which is sad. You know that's not the case with Lamar. You know that you know failure – puts gasoline on his fire, uh, that great that I keep talking about article that kind of highlighted Hollywood Brown and why he's going to change the NFL from Bleacher Report. He said that him and Lamar watched that Titans game every day for a month after it happened, and I think he's just too junky and much of an athlete. I don't know anyone you can compare to him, especially with the way that football is now. The rules are a little bit different. You know, Maybe you can compare him to a Randall Cunningham is the only one that really comes to mind. For me, but it was such a different era back then, and obviously this is the hashtag new era of Lamar Jackson. So it's difficult, but I like what you said about him maybe not being Brady and being more of a Peyton, where he just wins a shitload of games and feels like he struggles in the postseason a little bit. Maybe that's him, his M.O. for the next couple of years, uh, and, and then he gets into you know overdrive and able to maybe maybe out. a
1: maybe a Steve Young, somebody take the monkey off my back.
0: Right, right, yeah, that's a good one as well. Um, so it's 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 just still difficult. I think we'll have a really good idea about maybe what his career will look like after this season, uh, because he'll he'll be in the league for three years. We'll see what regression might look like, or if there's no regression, or you know if he takes a step back this year just a little bit, if his mechanics falter a little bit, or something. the sort, if can to improve anywhere close to the way he did from 2018 to 2019? Holy shit! I don't know what to say about him.
1: Rusilla, Rusillo had uh, Rusillo had Kevin Clark on his show, and they were talking something about how like, after a guy is done with his second year, you pretty much know who he is at that point. So at this point, we kind of know who the ideal version of Lamar is as a player, and uh, that looks very good to me. So I think you can definitely package that into something very significant from the team perspective. But, uh, yeah, I'm confident in him very much. Moving on. Sam Thrasher, do we really think all the Adams to the Ravens hype is real, or is this just hopeful fans trying to wish it into reality? I'm super skeptical. Just to really quickly address that, we kinda don't need to do a ton. I mean, it's not really like fans speculating. It was like an actual report from a guy who seems to be twice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, going back to the Uh, mid-season trade deadline last year and all the way up to now Uh, it was literally reported by Gary Myers um, from the New York Daily News or at least commented that the Ravens were having discussions with the Jets which doesn't necessarily mean like anything is imminent but I mean discussions are had all the time and uh, that's just something that you know it kind of happens when these trade rumors bubble up teams get mentioned and most of the time uh, they probably were talking to the team so maybe they were talking to them nothing is imminent but uh, you know, just take take what you will from that. You don't have to be pessimistic or optimistic one way or the other. Just know that the Ravens have made their calls. Moving on, Austin see how having kicked the winning field goal in many of Baltimore's most important games in the past decade, has Justin Tucker already become, become a top four, top five Mount Rushmore Raven? My recency bias has me putting him higher than maybe I should. I don't know if I don't know if you're being too high. I think he's well on his way uh, to being a top four guy. I think he's probably within the Probably within like top 10 plus right now for me.
0: Top 10. I'm sorry. Ravens all the time. Yeah. I, he's the only MVP. So I'm not putting him lower than 10. I mean, Tucker? I no player. I'm, I'm sorry. Just Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I broke up for a second.
1: Yeah. Sorry. So he basically frames it in having kicked a lot of the, you know, these important field goals and, You know, just the decade that he he had, uh, is he kind of having a little bit of recency bias, putting him in that top four, top five Ravens of all time? I think maybe that's a little high, but I think he's well on his way and uh, is already close right now.
0: However high you're willing to put a kicker, that's how high you put Justin Tucker. For sure. The maximum. He is the best kicker in NFL history, in my eyes, really.
1: Agreed. ZJ Batman, how much does Yonda's loss hurt? They had five games with the whole line, giving up three or less pressures. That can't all be because one person is commanding the whole line, is it? I think Stanley takes an even bigger jump this year and becomes that leader. Obviously not as good, but still. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of a leadership thing that you lose with Yonda for sure, but he was still playing really well, so you can't discount that. And uh, right guard is always going to be an important position in a run-heavy offense, so from that perspective, I think you're losing a lot as well. But uh, ultimately, I think it's something where they had a plan. Clearly, they've brought in a couple of young guys over the last couple of years. You're going to see some drop off there. But uh, as far as the leadership thing, that maybe is a little bit overblown because Stanley is uh, one of the best offensive linemen in the league. I think he's going to be holding it down.
0: And Orlando Brown, I mean, he's going into year three. He is, I mean, Orlando Brown grew up wearing his dad's number 78 Orlando Brown senior jersey to like middle school. He is like destined to become a Raven, and de- it feels like a very vocal leader. He won the. My friend yeah, went California to elementary
1: school with him, actually.
0: Yeah, he's a local kid. always been involved with Raven. It, it's like he has spoken out felt like destiny, and for I can't remember the name of the award, but the Baltimore media gives an award to basically the nicest guy, the like good the guy, guy award. who's most. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep, yep, yep. Media good guy. Um, Orlando Brown got that. Yeah, media good guy award, and that was Orlando Brown. So that shows that he is professional. Yeah, actually,
1: uh, jo- Jonas talks about how he's like one of his best friends on the team.
0: Who is one of it? Oh, uh, Jonas? Yeah. Or who?
1: Jonas okay. talks about how good Orlando Brown is with him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So exactly. Orlando Brown feels like a leader there. Um, so the leadership part. It's just the freaking consistency of Marshall Yonda play to play. And that what I spoke about earlier, that is what constitutes a PFF grade. It is how few negative plays you have more than it is how big your positive plays are. Uh, And Yonda is rated so highly by them because there are so few bad plays. So you have to figure there's just going to be a couple more bad plays coming out of right guard, Uh, whether it's one, every 10, one, every five, one, every three, because for Yond it was like one every twenty five, so you know maybe he has three, four bad reps in a game. We're going to see it be five, six, seven, eight now potentially. Um, so hopefully whatever Ben Powers and whoever else was able to learn is awesome. A little bit of news that came out of the little Hardball uh, PSL owner thing is that Jeff is as starter. The question is whether he starts at guard or center. So who was that? So, we
1: we, we cut out a little bit.
0: Bradley Bozeman okay. has I mentioned Bradley Bozeman as a starter, whether it's a guard or center. Um, so it sounds like Bradley Bozeman, you can kind of write him in ink on that offensive line somewhere.
1: Gotcha. Moving on. Dre Day, fifty two twenty over under Lamar, 120 carries in 2020. He had 176 in 2019 for reference. I'm going to go slight over.
0: It was more than last year what was the exact so he had
1: 176 carries in 2019 over under is 120 he's setting it at i'm going to go with a slight over
0: yeah i'd say like 145
1: for sure maybe maybe a little less than that for me but uh yeah i think uh they're making a lot about how he's going to be running less i totally can understand why but uh you don't want to you know If you got a nice engine in a car, you don't want to just replace it with a, you know, not as good engine for no reason. All sorts of car analogies going on today. By the way, check out my Formula One streams on Twitch. Uh, Moving on, Robert Estes. How much does the offensive scheme change now that Hurst is in Atlanta? And we have a very young receiving core going into the 2020 season. Uh, I think it's like we've been hitting on a lot more targets to Andrews, uh, trying to get Hollywood going more and just establish him as much as you can. And uh, the development of Boykin is going to be key.
0: Yeah, so a question schematically is, is Hollywood going to be a decoy a little bit? Um, If he is scary, and let's say he starts out hot again like he did last year and is healthier and better and even faster, is he just really going to open stuff up for Boykin and Snead and Duvernay and those other guys? Obviously, I mean, if you're defending the Ravens, you're going to want to take Andrews away first for me. Uh, I'm going to do what the Steelers did. I'm going to have literally like a box in one de- defense. Like I'm going to uh, assign three guys that I want close to Mark Andrews, that he is not just hurting me for first downs over and over again. Um, so it's, it's going to be an evolved passing game. They're going to want to transition more and more to Lamar throwing the ball, making some more line calls potentially. And we'll see how that turns out.
1: Yep. I agree. Uh, moving on tree Fort Larry, which is a sick at everything else being equal. Would you rather see a Brandon Williams sized Earl Thomas or an Earl Thomas-sized branded Williams on Sundays. Speed, skill, strength, etc. are not affected. Purely aesthetic, just body-switching places on the field. I love the idea of a rangy safety that just doesn't get thrown at, who is just thick as a bowl of oatmeal. And people are already kind of coming at Earl for his, uh, his weight a little bit. So, I mean, why not just lean into it at this point?
0: If you have a safety that is a bowling ball, that is sick as hell, aesthetically.
1: Yeah, I like that. Uh, Moving on, last one from Twitter. Satchel Gizmo again. Are the Ravens still in the market for a veteran wide receiver? I still think we lack talent there. I hate the idea of AB, but love his talent, so I'm torn. What about a Des Bryant, another player? Uh, AB, I am all the way out on. already talked about. Uh, that at length. Des Bryant, I, you know, I'd be okay with that as long as the money isn't too insane and uh, he's willing to accept a rotational, rotational role. I think he could play a Sneed type of role in this offense just fine, provided he can stay healthy. Uh, I'd be fine with Des Bryant, not really looking at any other guys around the league right now. I kind of like what they have and the idea of just developing Boykin and uh, getting some of these young guys into the mix.
0: I would love Des Bryant. Love, 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 love. Um, Des Bryant, to me, has had a mini AB kind of like a little bit of sort of yeah, like a little bit of being an asshole and and all that stuff, nowhere close to what AB did. But the reason I like it so much is because he has um, my ball mentality that I think rubs off on people. And I think he would be very, it seems like all he wants to do is just go play some damn football again. Um, You bring him in. I think he is a great personality to have with Hollywood with Boykin, with those younger guys. I think he would feed off of Lamar Jackson energy, uh, all that stuff. And I think he would be awesome in a rotational role. Absolutely. I love Des Bryant. actually it gives me goosebumps. I love Des Bryant. He was my favorite receiver in the NFL at his peak when he was like leading the NFL in touchdowns. 2014,
1: he was like the, one of the most unstoppable receivers I've probably seen all decade.
0: Yes, it easily. And uh i love him i think he has a sick name i think he was sick at oklahoma state i think that he is just dope as hell overall and had a little domestic violence issue so maybe he's on that you know red flag list that never came into any kind of uh police anything or any league thing or anything shout out to shefty right maybe he's on that uh that that red flag list and not able to but if he comes in for one year, $3.5 million, fuck yeah. I would love that shit. Well, I, I
1: would think he's not because the Ravens offered him a four-year deal and he didn't take it a couple years ago.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, that made me so mad when it happened.
1: Yeah, and then he's just like bouncing around. He visits the Browns like four times, doesn't sign with them, signs with the Saints, and immediately blows his Achilles out. So that's a tough scene for old Dez. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him in. And uh, that wraps up the Twitter side of things. If you would like to run on over to the IG, maybe we can – Below on through those because it looks like we're running a little long here.
0: Yes, we are. Okay. Starting off, if we got Adams, what becomes of Chuck Clark? To me, nothing. I think he plays a lot of the time still. Uh, the Ravens ran three safety looks on 40% of their snaps last year. I don't think a ton happens there. I think that Chuck, if you know, Chuck isn't a part of that deal still plays a shitload of defense for the Ravens. They run so many nickel and dime looks.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could, like you said, as long as Chuck is not being moved for Adams, I think they're probably going to be rotating him in and out a lot. Uh, I think he played up a little bit for them last year. So uh, yeah, and you know, very smart player. So you definitely want to
0: keep him in
1: the fold as long as he is with the team still.
0: Definitely. Are you, or Otavio, oh geez, the first Rose was B. Hmm. Dude, you crushed that. First question was B. Rose 931. are you not concerned with queen miss tackles he has a lot compared to his solo tackles no i'm not and the reason i'm not i talked about in the extensive article i did on him and when i was kind of previewing him for the or scouting him for the nfl draft so his tackles he doesn't use his fucking arms That's why he misses the tackles. He puts his head down, puts his shoulder down, and makes a huge collision. And the tackle, the guy like Najee Harris was able to break three tackles against him specifically, which was like three of the 10 tackles he missed last year. And it was because he just didn't wrap up. And I've seen him wrap up a thousand times. He just needs to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, So I'm not terribly concerned with that. And then Otavio Molar said, I love the rest of his game. Yeah, me too. Uh, moving on, Cole James, I think Lamar wins MVP again. Thoughts? Also, what is his ceiling overall as player? Pretty tough on that. Do you think Lamar would MVP again, Jake?
1: Uh, no, it's MVP is a completely narrative-driven award. Well, maybe not completely. You definitely have to play well. But uh, if you were the story of the season and you play you know, reasonably well enough to be in the MVP conversation, you are going to win the MVP. Uh, that's why I think people are so high on Kyler Murray. They think the Cardinals have a chance to win double-digit games. This is you and I included as well. Uh, we think the uh, Cardinals have a chance to be pretty good this season, and uh, we think Kyler's going to play pretty well. So I think that is probably ripe for you know just having this narrative-driven boost to win the MVP. And uh, there's even some other young guys. Maybe Baker could have like a really bounce-back year, and the Browns could win 10 games. He'd be in the mix for me. Uh, it's it's just so narrative-driven that I think uh, Lamar being the story of the NFL for a second year in a row is uh, so unlikely. Um, so that's kind of why I would be a little skeptical of that.
0: For me, the three potential options are for MVP are Mahomes because it's Mahomes' league and we're living in it and, and everyone needs to know that, and that's fine. I can understand that. Um, he is that good. He could easily deserve a second MVP. Number two is Kyler Murray, which Jake already touched on. Number three is Russell Wilson just because that is me driven. And let's say the Seahawks end up 11, 5, 12, and 4, and Wilson just kind of continues to be that consistent. I think that the AP is probably so sick of – Getting shit about how he's never gotten an MVP vote and people freaking out about that. But maybe they just don't give up rats at. But those are the three guys for me. Uh, Lamar will be right there in that discussion as well. But I wouldn't bank on him because, just like Jake said, it's going to be hard for him to outperform Mahomes if Mahomes is healthy and be the new catchy story because he's already done it. So it's just a little difficult. We already touched on the ceiling part, but thanks, cool James. Moving on kithens mazer if there are no fans or fewer fans watching games how does that affect the advantage at m&t bank stadium definitely affects you know the false starts and the offsides and some of that stuff a little bit uh you have to think that yeah if there's no fans at any games like that means not just at m&t bank Stadium. you have to think that the home and road stuff may even out like just a little tiny bit but i think more of that has to do with travel than it does like how loud it is
1: i actually i'm mad that i just came across this question now because i saw something on twitter uh one of the numbers heavy guys i forget exactly who it was but they were tweeting uh, a study from even before all this pandemic stuff came out about how a good home field advantage really does influence ref decisions in favor of the home team so Mm. uh yeah maybe refs are going to be a little bit more neutral and uh, like you mentioned stuff with the false starts and whatnot uh it's yeah i mean it just Kind of neutralizes the field a little bit. Uh, it makes things a little more even, uh, which I think could be a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, we're just gonna have to wait and
0: see. Helps on the road too, so it evens out either way. Uh, another question: Have you guys watched film on Jacob Breland or Tyree Phillips? What are your takes? So I watched Jacob Breland. Honestly, like looked at him for the first time today. He has like such a weird body shape. He just he looks like a giant baby. Like I, he has a. <laughs>
1: Benjamin Button Breland.
0: Yeah, Benjamin Button Breland. Oh, fuck. That's going to stick. That's going to stick. But Benjamin Big Butt Breland.
1: <laughs> Dude, uh, you, you, you're you crushing it today, man.
0: He has a gigantic booty. He looks like a giant baby running around the field. But you I, like like this, you're watching
1: <laughs> film on him, just ready to act up today, just like ready to risk it all. Oh,
0: you're going to make me act up. But he wears number 27, so that also throws me off so fucking Got to love college
1: like numbers, man. They're the best.
0: They're the best. They're the best. But he... Been playing a little uh,
1: NCAA 13, by the way. Good game.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Need a new one. New one coming soon. Hopefully. But he was able... He had some pretty bone-crushing blocks on DBs. A lot of his production, Oregon, is like super-duper screen-oriented. They throw so many screens. And that's why people are kind of weird on Justin Herbert, because they felt like he should have been in an offense that utilized like vertical passing and stuff. So if you recall back that play that Jake and I love so much that Mark Andrews scored on against Arizona in week two, that fake bubble screen release up the sideline where Mark Andrews kind of is wide open. He scored like 11 touchdowns over the last two or three years on that. That was the bread and butter of his game. So I love that. The Ravens have that in their wheelhouse. Um, Seems very sure-handed. Really was – good he's just good he was seems like a fine blocker and i've talked about how hayden Hurst was kind of that intermediate player between the skill sets of boyle and andrews and he again checks that box so uh, from what i saw if he's able to recover from his injury and and be the same player he kind of reminded me as a receiver of dennis pitta a little bit like not great after the catch but like can make guys miss and do some really weird random athletic feats Um, so i I was very impressed very impressed think he has potential to be a great tight end three Uh, then tyree phillips balls people as a run blocker Um, he is a great combo blocker i've talked about that before so when he double teams he moves people Um, if he's the guy that ends up coming off of that because he's a guard now and working to the second level he's gonna fuck linebackers up in pass pro slow feet uh, pretty slow feet, and that's why the Ravens probably want him inside instead of outside. That basically is why guys kick inside is because they're either not long enough to play tackle. He is; he has very good length, or their feet are too slow and they're just not like quick enough in their kick step. So that was my takes on those two guys.
1: Yeah, for Phillips, I've, I'm definitely trying to get more into the uh, tape watching stuff. Been reading up some books on like schemes and things so that I can get more into it. I'm admittedly not too well versed into the O line yet, where I can intelligently comment on Phillips. Also,
0: the thing about you is that you know what you're, you kind of know what you don't know. So you never like reach too far anything. anything. So I think your take throw is spot on.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm like, that's where I don't want to go too far into like commenting on Phillips. It's like you mentioned, I've, I've watched some stuff on him. It, you know, it seems like kind of that Mahler type of guy, but I don't necessarily know what I'm looking at when I'm watching him quite yet trying to get there. But as for Breland, seen some highlights and stuff, watched a little bit when I saw this question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like what I saw on tape, I like a guy who's, you know, productive at tight end in college. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of production. looks a little stiff. I think, uh, it's kind of like, it's like, it's like you mentioned, he's just kind of like, looks a little unnatural out there in some ways, but he definitely found, yeah, like he found ways to get open and it's kind of like, I don't know. Like he, there's just an unnatural, like, ability to him and that's not to, like say that he's like oh he's like an alien out there it's just like no it's just like unnatural like he catches the ball in these weird unconventional ways like it'll be coming at these angles and as opposed to like attacking it in the air he'll like stick his arms out and it'll just drop into his arm like it's the damnedest thing like it's like a baby dropping out of a away
0: from his yes yeah like out of his body really strangely
1: yeah it's it's kind of sick like i i sort of yes i i wonder it's if aesthetically that pleasing to watch yeah i wonder about it translating to the nfl necessarily but if it does him
0: go over top of defenders yeah he definitely does
1: have that he does have like the one-on-one i'm gonna like out muscle you for this you know ball in the corner of the end zone or at the sideline so uh he does you know he has some of those traits to him that i definitely like there's sort of an unnatural you know uh, you know thing with it but pitto probably wasn't the most natural receiver as you mentioned uh coming out of byu there so yeah ultimately he recovers from that injury a little bit and then like i mentioned while you were away. Uh, Harbaugh said that he does expect one of these undrafted tight ends to make the team. So uh, yeah, maybe it's going to be him.
0: I think they were confident they could go find someone to do what Hurst does because Hurst just, he just, Hurst just was in a shitty situation, but yeah, to Breeland for me translated the NFL. He, he's not that fast. He's not like crazy athletic. He's a little athletic. He can't separate crazy well, but he tracks the ball really well and he can find space really well. He knows where to go sit down uh, which is valuable. Lamar faces a lot of zones. So I think he definitely like I'm pretty confident he'll make the team if he's remotely fine from that injury. But moving on, Smearman, Alex Smearman asked us, which former Raven would you like to have see mixed into the current offense? Ooh. Offensively, who do you got? Who who can you think of?
1: I mean, I'd say can I just take Marshall Yonda back? I feel like that's a little bit of a cop out. Uh give me Steve Smith Sr. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw him in there with and, I, I mean, I guess I'd even say 2014 Steve Smith. I'd throw him in there with Hollywood and Boykin. And I feel like Hollywood, they want to move him to the outside a little bit. Uh, they want to play Boykin at that X role as well. So get Smith Smith into the slot there and, uh, you know, give me give me the fun fireworks that, he, that we saw from him in 2014 uh, with a quarterback who he can probably relate to a little bit better, if we're being honest. Though he and Flacco yeah, were friends.
0: My personal favorite is Anquan Bolden, so I'll say him. But I like Steve Smith because... He has that. Stint. He has more of it. Mark Ingram and him have kind of a, a similar like demeanor and attitude on the field, like the way they like talk to the camera and shit. So I think the two of them plus Hollywood plus Lamar would be a lot of fun. It's so just be, it's be
1: it would just be a traveling roadshow at that point. It would be yes,
0: incredible. yes, yes. <laughs> and it wouldn't be like it was never bad. It was never out of control. It was just fun. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be a really fun one. And Otavio Millar asked the second one: How do you think Wink will be? Yeah. who do you who do you think will be the starting defense in base and how would you think it'll turn out on third down? But I guess he's asking like what does Nickel and Dime look like versus base defense? Um, base is gonna go Brandon Williams at the nose tackle, Derek Wolf at the three technique, Calais Campbell at the five technique, Matthew Judon playing the Sam linebacker position, probably Jalen Ferguson or Pernel McPhee or Tyus Bowser playing the rush position. Then Harbaugh basically said we're going to see Patrick Queen at Mike, uh, Harrison and Fort rotating at Will, with a little bit of them rotating to Mike as well. We got Earl Thomas. Uh, we got Chuck Clark playing Bree Strafee's strong safety. And we're going to see mainly Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey in base defense and a nickel. We're going to see some Tavon Young. We're going to see uh, maybe some, some Boyke, maybe some Jimmy Smith and things like that. So it's, it's going to be, I mean, all around. They're not in base defense very much. Be a big moving part moving on. We got E main seven excited to see a healthy Tavon on Young Jimmy Smith to a Brandon Carr role as a sub safety question uh, mark. I think Harbaugh actually hit on that today and said yes,
1: yeah, he did. He, and- uh, yeah, and that's something we've you know even been talking about is that Jimmy's got the length and the physicality to get back there and play some safety and body dudes up. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, mess around with that
0: a little bit. I like it. Always been a really strong tackler and I've wanted him to play some safety for a couple of years now. He just like, he should have done that like two years ago. He's just never healthy and they never have enough corners, but they finally do. Joe Boykin, Ninja JC, are the Chiefs now a big rivalry than the Steelers? I would say they have to beat the fucking Patrick Mahomes Chiefs first to consider it a rivalry because if the Chiefs come into Baltimore and win this year, they are the Ravens daddy, like three wins in a row, three years in a row. That's not a rivalry.
1: It's interesting because I look at it in the way that, and maybe this will go over some followers' heads, but like in European soccer, they have what they call like derbies. It's spelled derby, but they pronounce it derby. And so, like, that's an old, that basically means rivalry game. And so, like, they'll, right. with a lot of teams, they'll have two of them in a year. And one of them is basically like your historic rival that you've just been duking it out with forever. So, like, Borussia Dortmund in Germany, they're, historic rival is a team called Schalke, but Schalke kind of not really in the mix to win the title year after year. Uh, so their rival that they're in the mix to win the title against is Bayern Munich. Yeah. yeah. So they're the best team in Germany. So I kind of look at it that way where the Steelers right now are kind of in that Schalke position where I don't really see them as like a threat to go and win a Super Bowl, but I see the Ravens and the Chiefs kind of jockeying and the Chiefs kind of as that Bayern figure that they've got to get over the hump with.
0: Very well said. That is an unbelievable analogy. Absolutely agree. Um, Rose 931 who was our last question, is also our first question. Am I the only one who'd rather trade for an elite edge rusher than Jamal Adams? No, I don't think you're the only one. Uh, edge rushers are just more expensive. They're more valuable than a safety. That's the premier defensive position, really, is either boundary corner or edge rusher. They just cost a little bit more. Um, Jake mentioned, you know, Frank Clark. We've talked about Jedevi and Clowney and stuff like to go get a guy like uh, even like a, I don't know, like I guess Yannick Ngakwe is the obvious one you have to talk about. It just is like this whole damn big thing. And it feels like guys like that. Like Jamal, I, I don't know. It might sound stupid, but I feel like Jamal Adams isn't really being a diva. He's just like, pay me or trade me. Yannick Ngakwe is like being a little bitch kind of about his situation. And, and
1: he's also that- been to an AFC championship with the Jaguars. Jamal Adams has never won anything in the NFL.
0: That's also very true. Um, So I don't know. Yes. I think a lot of people would rather have a really good edge rusher. The Ravens secondary is better than the pass rush. Uh, They just cost a little more and it's, it's tough because the Ravens scheme, like I, I just don't, I just don't know what, what pass rusher is a perfect fit because their pass rush is so multiple, comes from so many places and so many different designs. Like, I don't think they need an expensive pass rusher like that. They just need like consistent ones that can do multiple things. And I don't know who else does. That's why Matt Judon fits so well because he can drop into coverage, because he can play the run, because he can rush the passer, move around, do all kinds of stuff. And that's, why, in the and that's
1: why and that's why Campbell and Wolf are such big additions, because they're more penetrators along the defensive line and they can give you a little bit more of that than what you were getting, you know, last year and the years prior.
0: Exactly. So I think they scheme up pressure well. Uh, but having a guy who gets 15 sacks is more valuable than a guy who gets six interceptions probably. So I think that you're not alone there, but that sums up the Instagram mailbag, the Twitter mailbag is also fat today as well. So we appreciate you guys giving us all these questions, making us think, giving us content, uh, we always enjoy it. We'll try to keep it going this whole summer, and feels like the questions are getting better and better as time goes on. So we appreciate you guys.
1: Yep, they certainly are. We appreciate everyone writing in today. Like he said, it was a uh, it was a very. It's a very chunky mailbag, very thick. Had to do a lot of rooting around to find uh you know all the great questions, but they were certainly there. You guys brought it as you always do. So we appreciate that. Anything else it was before thick
0: I- with a K today it was like T H I C K thick. And like then maybe
1: back to a couple K. C's, even. I mean, we can maybe just get crazy with it.
0: C's. The one thing we didn't touch, A, who always comments in our live feed, said Deontay Johnson, yes, I'm buying him in fantasy. That is my last comment of the mailbag. Deontay Johnson's gonna have a monster fantasy year for his draft position.
1: For sure, I think uh, you know get Big Ben and that uh, elbow a little bit healthy. Maybe the Steelers, you know, turn around a little bit. But yeah, regardless, really appreciate you guys listening into this long one. We're gonna try and get back to the multiple episodes per week format moving forward. Uh, we I think we took off you know the the beginning of this week recovering from Memorial Day. These things happen, but uh, I don't know. It wasn't really that high key of a mem- Memorial Day for your boy anyway so regardless we're gonna get back into that rhythm pretty soon but uh really appreciate you guys listening uh today we hope you have a great weekend and uh as always you can follow the show on social media you can follow it at podcast beatdown you can find me at jake luke that's l-o-u-q-u-e you can follow spencer at ravens Four dummies that's the number four and check out the youtube page for video episodes i really appreciate you guys listening and peace out see ya All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All
0: right, God bless. <laughs>
1: Hell <yeah. laughs>